Georgia politics is a blood sport, and no one covers the brawls at the Georgia Capitol and on the campaign trail like journalist Greg Bluestein. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution reporter has come to redefine what it means to be a political insider in the state, highlighted by his reporting on the 2018, 2020, and now the 2022 elections. The surprising results of two years ago, with Democrats winning the statewide vote for president in both Senate posts, led to his authoring his first book, a burgeoning bestseller titled Flipped, How Georgia Turned Purple and Broke the Monopoly on Republican Power. Greg Bluestein joins today's commute to discuss the book and to look ahead to the 2022. From savannahnow.com, this is the Commute Podcast presented by National Office Systems. I'm Adam Van Brimmer, opinion editor at the Savannah Morning News and the host of this twice-weekly podcast focused on news and happenings in and around Savannah. Today's episode features a discussion with my journalistic colleague, the AJC's Greg Bluestein, author of the new book Flipped and a daily must-read for those who follow Georgia politics at AJC.com. That's coming up in just one minute after a message about the podcast presenting sponsor, National Office Systems. Let's face it, when it comes to the office environment, we've all been treading water since the COVID-19 outbreak. Now is the perfect time to freshen up our spaces, and the folks at National Office Systems are Savannah's experts in office design and outfitting. They work with top quality suppliers such as Dirt Modular Interiors and Herman Miller Office Furniture to create great workspaces. Learn more by visiting www.natoffsys.com. That's www.natoffsys.com. Now, here's the political discussion with Greg Bluestein. Very excited today to be joined on the commute by Greg Bluestein. He works for the Atlanta Journal Constitution. That's his main job. He has several other jobs. He does uh, Political Rewind with GPB. I'm honored from time to time to be on the same show that he is. Also does some MSNBC, some NBC News. He is uh, uh, very in demand, and I'm pleased that he was willing to take the time to talk to us today on the commute. And we're going to we're going to talk about Georgia politics. We're going to talk about the 2022 election, but we're going to start by talking about his recently published book called Flipped. And there's more to the title, Greg. I said I would have it in front of me, and of course I don't. <laughs> it is Flipped, How Georgia Turned Purple and Broke the Monopoly on Republican Power. It published earlier this year and has been a a runaway hit. Is that a fair way to put it? Or, or what, what have been, before we talk about what's in it, what's been in early returns? Yeah, all, so far so good. Um, that, you know, publisher, the editor, they're all very pleased by everything so far. And uh, and the beauty of this whole thing is that um, just in Georgia, as November nears, but it's great to be here with. I was you already know this, but maybe your listeners don't. Uh, Adam Morning News intern in two thousand and was it when you guys were on Bay Street, and that's right. I there was no parking somewhere every every two hours see what greg was when greg was coming out i was in sports at the time greg was coming out i was going in i'm sure we passed each other but it wasn't until all these years later when we realized we were in the same place at the same time and uh that all's all's good it's turned out okay so tell me about it was a bigger newsroom i just remember it not, um, you did i didn't know everyone like i just knew kind of the the, the local team is who I kind of hung out with the most, but right. I would meet cop sports people and, you know, like, wow, I've worked here for three months and stuff. And it, the AJC right now, because I don't know a lot of our newer employees, we still 
because of the pandemic. Yeah, pandemic, you're all working remotely. You get on a conference call and, hey, I didn't know you were working here now, right? So that's the nature of, of the beast right now. So let's talk about Flipped. It is a, a insider's view of the 2020 election, which, as everybody knows, dominated not just the headlines here in Georgia, but dominated headlines across the country with Joe Biden winning and with the Senate races that went to runoffs and both went from Republican to Democrat. I assume you're like me. You knew that this 2020 race was a big deal when you were in the middle of it. But I also think maybe you knew a little bit more than me because you said you spotted early on this was book worthy. What how soon in the in the cycle did the whole idea for a book happen? And and then is it just a matter of just just keeping notes and and doing journals and keeping up like that? I wish. Um, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) you know, give it a for for national audience. It doesn't include them in a lot of things, but also for the local audience, even for the people who are who are following every twist and turn to give them something new. Exactly how all these puzzles, um, these pieces in the puzzle fit together. Um, I wish that I came in and planned to document everything and uh, interview people, notes and the stuff, but I didn't. Um, it wasn't until most people not sure if there's a book or if there's something extraordinary has to happen. And in Georgia, frankly, something extraordinary um, because of Republicans had won. You know, breaking news that Republicans won another election. Um, so I had no idea how it turned out, but around 2020, an agent reached out to me and the agent said, I think there is a book here. And here's why. And he gave me all these great points. Um, and in the middle of the biggest, hectic, most hectic moment of my life, right, it was um, the Senate runoff debates, the televised debate, and and frankly was like a bunch of stories and deadlines for the AJC and all the other things that we now do. For a newspaper. Um, any, any journalist now has to do. Multimedia aspect. Um, and uh, okay, I'll think about it and thought about it for a couple couple days. I think I can do this. So I put together a 90-page book proposal, and I was like, "Hey, if it doesn't sell, it doesn't sell." I I, I did my best, um, and then and then I spent last year, the early months of 2021, at nights and um, cobbling together, interviewing people. I would do like, and just have like 13, 14 a day, <laughs> and other different stories and anecdotes that we could never make the paper. Blog or the newsletter, newsletter or any of the things, things we do, but we're, we're great for the book. Really did have a blast writing it. Now desperately, well, for better or for worse. When you're circling back and, and talking to people, interviews and saying, "Hey, I, I want to talk to you about this thing that happened at this point in the campaign," and, and you learn some new stuff, does it just kind of be like, "Oh man, I wish I had known that at the time," and, and put it in the story, or how did that all work? Yeah, I mean, sometimes I did know it at the time it's in a story, you know, because it's just too insidery. And it, Sometimes I had it at the time, but it was off the record, and they were willing to go background. And yeah, you're right. Sometimes I'm like, that's what happened outside, or, or in some cases, I'm recreating events. Um, uh, you know, it's it's Bill Nygut when Donald Trump formally endorsed. Uh, um, it was in the middle of this press conference that that, that Kemp was to a, a candidate for governor who was endorsing him. Um, it, it was like a Wednesday afternoon or something. I, I couldn't be there for the book. And Bill was at one of the events we were doing. You were there. I said, Bill, it was a Wednesday afternoon around Wednesday around 2 p.m. Why do you think I wasn't there? Because I was at his show, right? Um, <laughs> you try to make as many events as you can, but you also know that there's events that you just can't make it to. So you recreate it. But I didn't have a front, front row seat to so much that was happening. Going to cover a debate or a Trump rally or inadvertently. Look, there with Kelly Leffler at this major sport 
at the moment when Johnny Isaacson announced he was retiring. I can never have mapped out. Yeah, some serendipity there, right? Yeah. When you look back at that 2020 election now, is it? Can you get the full historical context when you think about it now? Or are we still too close? We're still, but but that is at least one of the things I try to do in this book is give it happened and why. Um, and look, even as I was writing it, even final stages of editing, we learned more from congressional investigation. Donald Trump's efforts to overturn the election. Because what I did in the book, three s- sections. One was 20. It's hard to tell the story of how Georgia flipped without telling the story of that 20. 20- That's right. Um, yeah. The second being um, the run up to 2020. And um, the third being the Senate runoffs. The, the Right? The Senate runoffs could have alone been a, a standalone book, but a picture. And so, yeah, we're still learning things. We're still hearing. And we're still seeing testimony. And we'll learn a lot, I think. We'll learn a lot from the Fulton County trial. Um, uh, of the Let's go forward. Because we'll have more testimony and more debt. Investigators with, with powers that I don't have as a reporter. <laughs> hmm. Called subpoena powers. Um, to, to compel some testimony. Documents. And I think that will give us an even bigger picture. To nerd, to nerd out a little bit on the books, I, I'm like you. I covered a beat where I wrote books on the beat I was covering. I wrote a couple of Georgia Tech football books. I think you sold probably f- more books in your first day pre-sale than I've sold in all the years that those have been published. But that's beyond the point. That's what that's the difference between Georgia Tech and Georgia, right? Anyway, uh, <laughs> but the process is, is – yeah, exactly. So the last thing you want to do at the end of the day when you're a beat writer and you're cranking copy – is write some more. How much of a grind was it for you to to crank out the chapters and to and to just kind of keep making sure you write so many hundred words a day just so you can keep up and keep working toward a deadline? Yeah, as you know, it's a different muscle, right? So, um, and and then these days we're already exercising different muscles. You know, when I started in journalism, it was just writing a front page story, just writing, yeah, hitting your print deadline, yeah. and yeah, at the morning news. Online was the thing, but it was it was kind of an afterthought. Uh, in, in general, I can't remember exactly how the morning news view was, but in general, at my college newspaper, the Red and Black, it was like, yeah, let's post this stuff. It's paper, of course, and we'll just post it online too to see. And it would get viewers, right? I mean, you know, right, right. The newspaper itself, the Campus Daily, percent penetration rate. I mean, thousands of people read it every day, and online it was. Eh that long ago it was a couple decades ago no. but it wasn't a different generation and now of now course we're writing for the print paper and for the newsletter for the blog and and for you podcast all the different things but writing a book was a completely different muscle and um but it didn't feel overwhelming ever, at least and it was kind of fun just honing out different chapters and i set myself pretty stand pretty strict internal deadlines like i chapter done by February and this chapter done by the end of March the end of May um, and and like I hit it and knew that it wasn't going to be and then spent the summer making it trying to make it better right taking out stuff that didn't need to be in there putting in others doing more interviews um, but I think to your point it just got to be a point where I needed to be away from it 
Yeah. First draft, I took kind of a month off from, I would do more interviews, and, and but I, I stayed away from the book. But while my editor was like editing it and going over it, you know, focused on other things and went tra- tra- even more time with kids and doing that kind of thing um, because the book was my fill with, <laughs> with, with that first draft. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you do any more, take this advice. Don't do it when your wife is pregnant. I made that mistake. Not a good idea. Not planning to get pregnant. We have two kids, <laughs> eight and 11. Look, I mean, for better or for worse, one of my goals was to not have it huge impact on them. So I'd often write after uh, on weekends when my wife had them doing other, you know, these coffee shops I just hide hide in or my basement here, or um, just other times when they were when I had some downtime. It's not to like say, oh, daddy can't play with you because I'm working on the book. Right. Um, yeah, because I get that. One a.m. in the morning, <laughs> something like that, which right. was not great, but right, right. So, if you want a copy of Flipped, you can get it at Amazon. You can get it a lot of different places. Just this, go go to your computer, put in Flipped, put in Greg Bluestein, you'll find a way to get the book. Let's spin forward to 2022. I think we're already seeing that the 2020 election is an incredible impact, especially here going into the May tri- the May primary with President Trump still at least attempting to play a big role in terms of Georgia politics. As you sit here, we're uh, what, about 10 days out from the start of early voting. Uh, what are some of the things that are sticking out in your mind for 2022, especially as it relates to what we saw in 2020? Well, first, Georgia. I mean, he's obviously playing in, in other states. Um, he is, I'm a singularly obsessed with Georgia some days. Um, and, he, and and I think that Georgia will, will prove to be of, uh, of any state in the nation. Um, sheer number of, of, of Georgia candidates he's endorsed, if you count Marjorie Taylor Greene, who doesn't really have mm-hmm. a, a race at all. But he's now endorsed eight candidates. And, and they stand out not number, but because of the nature of their candidacies. I mean, David Perdue, very tough, very tough primary check. And Governor Kemp is, is now probably the favorite to win it. I know what will happen. A lot of things can change. Mm-hmm. Um, but right mm-hmm. now, in a position, uh, an enviable position right now. But also, I mean, Donald Trump is letting his vendetta shape his political. And he's endorsed very, very known no. candidates. <laughs> How do I put this? Insurance commissioner. Insurance yeah. commissioner. People that very few people have ever heard of, even in the Republican, um, uh, you know, a candidate for attorney general, a candidate for, you can even extend that to Vernon Jones, the candidate for 10th district. Just are not name brands in Republic. Going up in the case of the insurance commissioner and the attorney general, incumbent candidates who, who also might not be broad, but who have the power of incumbency and have been building for, for more than a year now um, and he's like a week before days before a qualifying deadline in March um, and so that is he put his name on the line with these candidates and if they end up losing you know he, he can write them or throw them under the bus or whatever but at the same time you know, that hey he endorsed all these candidates and only a handful 
we'll, we'll probably end up winning. Um, but at the same yeah, time, to, oh, sorry. I was going to say, to your point, he's been backpedaling from David Purdue since the day after the big rally in commerce, right? As he's like, you know, yeah. well, maybe not everybody's going to win. And <laughs> it was clearly that he was talking about David Purdue. He just got the, the sense right there that uh, oh, he was Donald Trump does not like to be associated with losers, right? Even even though he's he himself. His, yeah, he's downplaying expectations. It's really hard to beat an incumbent governor like Brian Kemp. James is what Trump said. Um, so, at the, change um, at this very moment. Rumors that Trump's might put in more money behind Dave, about five hundred thousand um, dollars, almost a month ago, for a produce campaign. But he might end up, you know, more from his from a super PAC aligned with him. Um, and that's why Governor Kemp is trying to shut the door. He knows how damaging a runoff can be against a Trump-backed that guy in 2018, right? He was the Trump-backed party favorite and ended up trouncing the party favorite in part because of Trump's endorsement and in part because of all sorts of other things that go back and talk about from tapes and policy stuff. You can read all about it and flipped. Um, <laughs> but he wants to shut the door on David Perdue runoff and there's a lot of pressure right now for him to just millions more than he has in the bank and just lay it on thin and right now to go spend it on ads and mailers and volunteer knockers and all these other things that, that a modern day sophisticated um, in order to go energize voters and you know beyond money and beyond the the power of his office the other is um, bill signing you know through mid-may and many of them are geared at a broader audience and it's out of base it's worth it all but hey guns education bills are specifically catered towards the Trump back audience We'll be right back. We're talking Georgia politics on today's commute with journalist Greg Bluestein. But in this break, I'm going to tell you about the Coastal Empire High School Sports Awards presented by the Georgia Ports and sponsored by Chatham Orthopedic Associates. The award show returns to an in-person format this year after two years of virtual shows. And we now have the 411 on the event. It's set for 7.30 p.m. on Monday, June the 10th at the Johnny Mercer Theater. You can come help us celebrate our local student-athletes by purchasing tickets at sportsawards.usatoday.com slash coastalempire. One more time, that's sportsawards.usatoday.com slash coastalempire. You can also go to savannahnow.com, click on the sports tab, and on that homepage, that sports homepage, you'll find a link to the sports awards. You'll buy your tickets there, too. Now, back to the politics discussion with the AJC's Greg Bluestein. To tie, to tie a, put a bow on the Trump effect or the Trump ticket or whatever you want to call it. What I have a hard time putting my finger on is we know that, that there are Trump loyalists in the base and we know that they are loud. But it's really hard for me to figure out how many there are. And I, I you in Atlanta and around the state have a lot of contacts and, and GOP groups and, and, and committees and 
I see it here with, you know, Chatham County uh, GOP and the first district GOP. And you've got this faction. You've got this faction that is incredibly loyal to Trump, whatever he says goes. And then you have this other faction that seems to be much larger, doesn't really want to shut it down because they don't want to alienate anybody. And I, I have a really hard time figuring out exactly how much Trump – what Trump says goes in terms of the support in the primary. Of course, we're going to find that out on May the 24th. But are you yeah. getting any kind of better indication than I am of, of how big that that Trump, Trump, what Trump says goes faction really is? You know, yeah. I mean, when, when David Perdue first got in this race, it, Kemp's, Kemp's folks saw it as a toss up. They, they thought it'd be very. I think then, then right now where Kemp is up, double the major pump. Including the ones that came out after Trump's rally, um, but Campbell events, right? There was GOP county where there was open talk of censuring him and of reprimanding him, sanctioning him, punishing him, right, for not calling a special, yeah. trying to reverse the outcome of the elections or whatever. Black has generally gone by the wayside. Um, mm-hmm. Seeing it, you're still seeing pushback, and trust me, we'll be talking about it all through November, I promise, right? Significant, we just don't know how many, but there will still be elements of the room support him. Um, and, and certainly I, I very much doubt Trump will versus his longstanding position on camp and, and then say, I love him. He, right? Um, but I, I covered recently a Fulton County G- where um, there was, you know, that's a pretty mainstream Republican Party and that's known for being on the far right where most of the crowd was very much supportive of Kemp, but there was an element in that crowd that was, they were yelling at him, special session, right? Um, Yeah. Yeah. um, (laughs) He he got a little spicy when he answered there. Um, But that's a a reminder that this isn't going away. You know, Donald Trump in September in Georgia said he'd rather see Stacey Abrams. So, you know, that dynamic is still... Governor Kemp plans to play it, depends, but is just the size of, of Trump rallies. I've covered Trump rallies all over the, the nation, including a. And I've never seen, and there are still thousands of people at his. But I've never seen um, a crowd. And this, I guess listless is a decent word, but just. But they only seem to be energized when you talked about when it's. When David Perdue was out there talking about um, Rivi tax or crime in Atlanta or Buckhead City Hood or not, uh, issues on his on his you know top list, right? Uh, his agenda, right? There was barely an uh, applause. There's barely a stir. About 2020 and Donald Trump won and all this stuff. And even started chanting "Lock him up" about Brian Kemp. Right. Hey, it's a smaller crowd, but they were almost almost a one. They're, they are devoted right. to the to believing the lie that Donald Trump Right. Right. I would, I would, that to me would seem to think that that does not bode well for the Republicans going into the fall, but we use that to kind of segue into the Democrats. And obviously the Democrats in 2020, as you talked about in Flips, there, there was a, a big groundswell of voters that came out either because of Stacey Abrams, and, and they were still kind of riding her high from 2018, and also the anti-Trump vote. 
as we go into 2022 and you're in Atlanta, so you might have a little bit better feel for it. Do you feel that there's there's still the same um, emotion, the same energy behind the Democrats that we had two years ago or even four years ago when Abrams came so close? And that applies not only to Abrams, right? That's going to have to apply to to Warnock as well. Yeah, this is the big Democratic energize, rebuild the same coalition that defeat Donald Trump in 2020 and, and oust Purdue in 2021. Can they rebuild that coalition? Number one, without Donald Trump on the ballot. But number two, with rising fuel prices, with rising inflation, Biden's approval ratings, uh, and at least an AJC poll, in the 30s, this was a few months ago, but in the 30s, um, compared to, you know, down double digits from where he was uh, and just the general national climate. It's always harder for the party in power. Right. In terms of elections. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So how seeing it, right? We're already seeing it in in very interesting way. Abrams? Her, her strategy is to focus on and more lately to talk about her carry, which she calls criminal carry, the, the new gun law that Kemp. Uh, Raphael Warnock is beginning... Biden's policies and platforms and some, you know, all degree, he's not, you know, turning his back on voting rights or justice reform or any of the big issues he's long put at the center of his agenda. He, he is opposing um, policies from Joe Biden. Certain, uh, as you, uh, military, you know, closures of, of, of Sorry, reductions of military forces um, down on the ground. And, you know, and more generally talking about populist ideas can can say they they oppose, right? I mean, who's going to raise their hand and say, on a federal gas tax holiday, right? Uh, there's reasons mm-hmm. why that will... He's trying to go at these populist issues uh, in... Insulin problems. Um, a more broader uh, sales... T- um, you know, going after... Uh, chain companies that he he feels are ga- price gouging things that are not necessarily polarizing. They're they're meant for what he's aiming at. And then just before we we tape this podcast, his, his latest ad says, "Hey, I'm not a magician." Herschel Walker. I mean, uh, <laughs> Raphael Warnock is out there saying, "I can't change things in Washington overnight. It takes time." Right. And, and, hey. Um, you know, I, I promised all the sweeping. He's 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 he's, he's uh, uh, you know fulfilled. Laid the groundwork. Certain ways. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, look, like Democrats got who cabinet and for Supreme Court justice and Supreme Court. and with with Warnock's help and with re- some Republican help. Structure plans too, but when it comes to more sweeping changes, no. That has, Last question and topic is is Herschel Walker. I think that we'd be, we'd be naive to sit here and say that uh, we don't think he can win. We don't think his iconic status can carry him to a win because it can't. The big question is is how is he going to navigate the campaign season once we get to Labor Day and it really becomes uh, a head-to-head with Warnock and are we going to see him debate? Are we going to see him on the on the campaign trail talking to the media? Are we going to see the things that we're not seeing now because he doesn't have to do them now come the fall? 
Yeah, and I agree. I think it would be very naive for us. He can't beat Raphael Warnock because Raphael Warnock knows he's in for Walker's the nominee. Um, uh, Walker, um, he's universally known in Georgia, almost running a TV ad. That's how powerful his name brand is. You know, it's the challenge of Democrats will soon to repose have already faced, which is um, poll numbers. Um, how to how to effectively attack violence against women and erratic behavior, and whether or not health is an issue, because um, we've we've right. we've not really seen. And right now, we haven't seen Democrats, at least publicly, next campaign, uh, go after Herschel Walker. Democrats do the same thing, but they will. Right, uh, the moment he wins the. And um, how that will play out, because um, it'll help dictate Herschel Walker. Remember, we know that he can't continue to do what he's doing, which is completely controlled events, only a few appearances, interactions with voters, a lot of paid speeches, a lot of closed door phone. Um, the media interviews he's doing, he's largely doing with friendly audience, and then with the objective media outlets. Um, they're, you know, um, they're not deep, comprehensive look allegations against and things like that. Um, so we'll have to face those in one way or another. And if it's not from the uh, news, because he hasn't sit down and talked with you guys either, be, oh, it'll happen. Um, it's, it's, it's almost a state like Georgia without, you know, that sort of back and forth was on a campaign trail. But as he said, at this stage in the race, talking to who he wants to talk to. <laughs> and so far, that's been the interviewers. And for, we're interested in, in policy positions. I don't know how much the rest of the state is, but I'll be really curious to hear how, for a general, that messaging switches. Because all we've heard from him in terms of policy positions now are things like girls in sports and some of these very... Uh, aimed at the base kind of, of policy positions. Yeah, um, and you're right. I mean, transgender on a sort of an easy, energizing issue for Americans, um, but we don't know where he stands on... You know, we, we knew he had this bizarre statement at first about him, but not wanting to opine on where he would have stood on it, which is what a candidate does, and then later on he came out and opposed it, but we don't know where he stands in so many other from foreign policy to taxation, um, states, name it. There's a lot of question marks about where he stands. And basically we're doing it from getting audio from getting into grassroots events here and there. Right. Or what his campaign is putting out. which Or what his campaign is putting out, which is completely filtered. That's right. That's right. Well, Greg, thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, congratulations on the book. And we will uh, look forward to a exciting and hopefully short election season, right? We'll cross our fingers. No runoffs. And we'll get see. it done. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. That's all for the Thursday Commute Podcast. Thanks one more time to our presenting sponsor, National Office Systems. Before I sign off, remember that we publish new commute episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. Whatever your interests, you will find interviews of interest in our archives. 
Last week, for example, we talked about SCAD's growth on one episode and about the new football coaches at Savannah State and Georgia Southern on the other. Wide variety of topics. Search The Commute with that Savannah Opinion on your favorite podcast app to find our episode library. The Commute returns next Tuesday. We will talk to you then. Mm-hmm.